Saxon Coffee Podcast. Playback begins in three, two, one. You'll hear that children from other families have come and they've stayed in your house, they've stayed in your bedroom. Well, very few. But, you know, some have. And they say, is that really appropriate for a man, a grown man, to be doing that? How do you respond to that? I feel sorry for them because that's judging someone who wants to really help people. Why can't you share your bed? The, the, the most loving thing to do is to share your bed with someone. You, know? really, you really think that? Yeah, of course. You're taking the position that you use every single night that you go into you sleep and you're sharing it with another. You say you can have my bed if you want to sleep in it. I'll sleep on the floor. You can. It's yours. Always give the best to the company, you know? Like to him, I said, because he was going to sleep on the floor. I said, no, you sleep in the bed, I'll sleep on the floor. But haven't you got a spare room or a spare house here where he could have stayed? Yeah, but no, yes. I, we have guest units, but whenever kids come here, they always want to stay with me. <laughs> they never want to stay in the guest. And I have never invited them in my room. They always just want to stay. They say, can I stay with you tonight? I go, if it's okay with your parents, yes, you can. Did, did, did you, were your parents happy that you were here with with Michael? Yeah, my mom was all very, very, very happy. And I know they're happy because I was happy. Did they come with you? Yeah, most of the time, but I wasn't really with my parents. I was mainly with Michael. But they were happy that you were here? Hello Bambinos, welcome to the show. My name is Nick and today we've got the lovely, talented, recently graduated from university, Stephanie. Yay! Do I say that with like an upper class thing now because I've graduated? Yay! What? That was, uh, you graduate now so everything's like upper class. Is university only for the upper class now? <laughs> no, you just speak like it when you come out. Okay. <laughs> and now we, and also, sorry, we have my lovely but ill girlfriend, Charlotte. Yeah. Hi guys. She if I sound a... fucking wisdom teeth, mate, wisdom teeth, that's all I'm going to say. And if you haven't got your wisdom teeth through yet, I'm sorry for <sighs> you. There's a lot to look forward to. We've also got with us our intern, Owen. I'm new. He's a newbie. He's going to help us with all the socials and stuff like that. And when we get the blog up and going, we're going to do that. But yeah, he's not getting paid for this, except in food and company. Um, Steph's already put her order in for a drink. Oh yeah, definitely. We've got to get the coffee runs on the go. And then he knows mine already because we're related, so he best goddamn well know. <laughs> so we listened to Michael Jackson in the intro. That's from Martin Bashir's documentary in, I think it was about 2005. <laughs> and that, the kid sitting next to him was Gavin Arvito. Obviously the people at home won't see the kid sitting next to him, but the kid in the video was Gavin Arvito. And that started off a new series of allegations that he was sexually abusing children. So what do you two th- both think about Ugh. the allegations against... Because he's never been convicted no. of anything. That's, that's the most uncomfortable I've, footage I've seen, 
to to watch with Michael Jackson. I've not seen that video before, and it made me proper uncomfortable. Really? How so? Because like he was holding his hand and he was leaning on his shoulder like a like a thing. yeah. It's, it's a, like that like, sort of puppy dog look, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then and then he was just like, oh yeah, you can stay. In my- if the kids want to stay in my bed, the kids stay in my bed because that's what Michael Jackson sounds like. Yep, if the kids want to stay in my bed. I don't know, it just, we watched a documentary not too long ago about it, didn't we, Nick? Leaving Netherlands, yeah, which yeah. has been taken off of Netflix now. Oh, has, has it? it? Yeah, it's How been come? taken oh. down. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, I looked for it last night, I was going to watch it, because I was finding that clip, and I thought, okay, I'll refresh myself, and, uh, yeah. but the new allegations are really compelling, I find, those yeah. two guys. And it's just... Because I, for years they defended him, didn't they? Yeah. They said, no, nothing happened, and then... They did, this, like, perjury and everything, because they were basically brought off and it's i don't know it just disturbs me quite a lot because yeah. i know he's famous and i think he's a wonderful singer he's a genius no but no real it, there's contest about it there's there's just something not right no. i don't think michael jackson was a conscious predator i think he was a child inside a man's body mentally he was a child because he yeah. did have a really quite brutal childhood yeah. with his dad doesn't excuse it and i don't think it's just his father either from what the like stories and everything that i've read Mm. i think there was somebody in the position of power that he necessarily was in like so a mentor or somebody like that that Mm -hmm. possibly abused him you find that a lot with like pop stars and whatnot yeah Yeah, it's quite a common thing well Corey hayne the actor was notoriously brutally sexually assaulted when he was and i think i think charlie sheen was as well yeah Mm, and um, who's his brother that was in the Mighty Ducks movie? Um, Emilio Estevez. I haven't heard anything about him. No, yeah, I think because Martin, not Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez are brothers. Are they? Yeah. Okay. And I think they were both abused by the same person. No way. So mm. it's crazy how no matter you can be lower class, you can be middle class, you can be upper class, you can be famous, abuse still goes on. And that's a scary, scary thought. Yeah get to anybody anywhere but I, yeah. I i don't think he i think he was just a child and his sexual sexual sort of awareness was that of a developing child, child. into an adult he seems stuck at a certain age so i don't think he he did that voice and michael jackson and then he turned mm-hmm. around like i'm gonna fuck some kids like turn <laughs> no, around no. like that but then at the same time they do say a lot of predators act a certain way around children i or, think that was just him though and no one knows from what i've seen but they do yeah. say that they act a certain way like to get like to get the uh, the ground with the children like yeah. that common ground but, but like, I feel like his, his whole entire moral compass was a bit warped anyway because I mean take the balcony child yeah. tea towel over the head scene yeah because he didn't realise that that would be severely frowned upon it, I mean, yeah. child abuse is such more so well a different kind I suppose than sexual abuse well he, but... he defends that in that Martin Bashir documentary and it's have you never seen that the Martin Bashir no I've not seen that one it's, before Martin Bashir's a dickhead I mean, he's, he's a brilliant documentary, but he is a dickhead, um, okay. just personally. He just doesn't come across as a very sort of... He's no Louis No, he's not. Mm-hmm. But Mark Jackson defends that by saying the fans wanted to see the baby, so I took the baby outside and I was doing a caring, loving thing by showing them the baby, so he, he didn't realise he'd done anything wrong with that. On a balcony with a towel On a balcony, yeah. I understand the towel over the head because he wanted to hide the face of the child. Yeah, but then you yeah. don't put your baby out in public. I yeah. mean, if you don't want a baby in public, then you just don't do it full no. stop. You don't cover it with a towel. No, there is that. Yeah. But 
But Louis Theroux was outside that night because he was trying to interview Michael yeah, Jackson for ages. But Michael Jackson or his team, I think through Yuri Geller, went through with Martin Bashir instead. But Louis Theroux chased him all around the world. And, and he had an interview with Yuri Geller, didn't he? He didn't manage to get one with Michael Jackson himself. No, he himself. got one with his dad, which is bizarre. Yeah, because his dad does not like to give interviews to anybody. Okay. Was it enlightening? Was it? No, it's like really dodgy. They meet in like a Las Vegas hotel room. He has to pay him like $500 cash and then... All right. Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson's father, just sits there grumpy and then brings in some acts he wants to show Louis. Acts? Acts, yeah. as in, like, because he's a agent or something for yeah. Las Vegas artists. Oh, acts. I thought you said acts as in, like... No, he didn't bring in an axe. No, he's no oh. axeman murder. Oh, okay. But I don't know. Like I said before, I think he's a brilliant, amazing artist, and I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I do love his music. Mm-hmm. Some of it. No, yeah. I, I like all of it. It's just his nineties stuff's not his good. his persona Thriller. and the knowledge that I have now of him. Yeah, it just puts a shady view. on Yeah, and it makes it? my stomach hurt. Like yeah. that whole oh god, that could happen. Yeah. But some people defend him. They'd, like his fans are like militantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is these are lies. These are against him. To weirdly try enough, when we when that Finding Neverland documentary out, we were in the local co-op, which is a supermarket, and in an aisle over, like from us, we like me and Nick could hear people discussing it and how I think they were possibly boyfriend or girlfriend, and the girlfriend was like, "Oh, Michael would never do that," and the boyfriend was like, "But mm. all of this evidence," yeah, and she was like, "No, Michael would never do that." Yeah, so I feel that's kind of... it is cool. Like some yeah. people yeah. treated him, or still treat him that way. It's crazy. I actually had so I went into Boots as well, which is another sort of like super drug kind of store, and um, they were playing Michael Jackson on the radio. And as soon as Michael Jackson kind of came up on the playlist, the people who were running the shop, who were on the shop floor, ran to the radio and just flipped it to the next song because they didn't want to play Michael Jackson in the store. Oh right, yeah, and like proper matter of urgency. (laughs) Oh right, okay. So I think because we're now a nation, like Britain especially, is now a nation of being aware of paedophilia, yeah. I think we we don't want to promote it, even if we do like the music and such. No. We mm. don't want to promote it because, for example, Rolf Harris. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't call Mark Rolf Harris a musical genius. So. No, not, not, <laughs> not, not so much. Too boys. But the, like, the TV persona boys. and everything and the animal yeah. rescue. It was a national treasure, Rolf yeah, Harris. Yeah, like, I really liked Rolf I can remember watching the animal rescue show when I was a child. Yeah. yeah. But now I'm like, I, I thought what, of that. Were you thinking whether he put his no, things Nick, in those No, dogs? I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but... Yeah, it just puts a shady thing on it because the same happened with Ian Watkins and Lost Profits, didn't they? They just yeah, but he deserves to burn in hell. That was brutal. He was a he, little bit. He really does deserve. That was horrendous. And we're going to be doing a musical month soon. Yeah, and he's He'd be a good one to do. He is it one was, of the stories I want to cover. It was him and his girlfriend, wasn't it? And her best friend. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it was like a ring, a paedophile ring. Yeah, yeah. Right, we're going to crack on with today's show, Steph. What are you going to cover today? Today, I am doing Paul Park um, Asylum. Oh, So, um, all the paranormal bits and pieces that are going on there. I've got a nice video and audio for you to get your teeth into, so it's going to be fun. I actually have never heard of this place. (laughs) I've got references. Oh, God, she does maniacal laugh. That's never good for us. It's going to be fun. And today, I'm going to... Oh, before we start, actually, before I say what we're doing today, me and Charlotte went to a wedding over the weekend, and... The we were we were sitting waiting for the food, and <laughs> yeah. so I was googling because it was in a stately home, a big stately home near where we live, 
And we found out it was haunted, apparently, so we went on a bit of a ghost hunt. And it's referent, like it's relevant to this month because it also was a medical hospital. Yep. So, oh, was it? Yeah. Should, cool. should we play the footage? I don't know if it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do okay. this. Right, we're at a wedding, and we found out the place is haunted. I'm here with Charlotte. Hi. Rich is here also. Hi, guys. We've had some wine. Would, do you want to read the story out? So, we're currently at Bosworth Hall, and it's a grade two listed hotel, and it has an, a ghost of a grey lady. And she was having an affair with the gardener, and her father wanted to stop her. She fell into one of his man traps, which is basically a bear trap that attacks humans, obviously. And she really cut her leg open. She went back to her bedroom, sadly passed out, bled to death. And according to the superstition and the law, the blood was that much that it seeped through the floorboards and ran down the fireplace in the room that we are currently standing in. It's called the Grey Lady. And her name, what was her real name? Annie? Alex. I don't know, we can look at uh, that. Well, I'll put that in there later, but yeah. So, so we're standing underneath the fireplace and Charlotte's trying to convince us that there are bloodstains on the fireplace. No, I said there would be bloodstains if we had no, luminol. You, no, she didn't say that, did she? Uh, I can't see any bloodstains. You I'm can't so obviously see honest. them because it's been cleaned, but if we had luminol... said on the website there was bloodstains. <laughs> no, it didn't. It if did. we had luminol, we would be obviously able to see it because granite holds it. And that's right. Do you want to get your EVP thing out? My EMV. Let's see what that does. I'm I'm gonna guess it's gonna probably do if, nothing because by the way this is an app on my phone so yeah science what about the radar thing right so we're waiting for it now it's it's got a high signal apparently bollocks has it <laughs> <laughs> nick obviously is a complete and utter skeptic on this if it picks up i was murdered gardener trap trap i'll be impressed but that's gone mental Okay, the screen is making some... That's right, you see the bar at the top, the yellow one? Yeah. Look. Look, okay. If I move now, that should go down. Oh, no, yeah, the top bar is going down, so there's nothing that way. Then move it back to the fireplace, and it goes back up. Is that the only word we're getting, look? So far. So, the grey lady, if you're here and you want to send us any words, say hello, tell us a word. If you want to attack us. Don't attack don't us. Why? I don't want to be attacked. I well, think you're a good lady <laughs> and you should have been able to be with oh. your boyfriend. Oh, we got to. You should have been able to be with your boyfriend. Your dad was a Fiance. No, boyfriend. No, they were just having a bit of rough and tumble. Oh, yeah. sorry, mate. She should have been. Oh, that's, oh. that's Steph. <laughs> Steph has literally just texted me as I'm playing EMV. It says so. good luck. So it says <laughs> luck so far. Okay. And part. Part. So, okay. look part. Oh, and we've got an advert now because I'm not paying for this app. No, I don't want bingo. Bingo? We don't play bingo. But we maybe that's where the look comes Can in. You move it around or something closer yeah. to the... Go right up to the ceiling. Because I'm that tall. Stand on a chair. Yeah, no, I'll kill myself. <laughs> and then there'll be another ghost in here. But all we're getting at the moment is luck. Is it's completely Pathetic. Gone rubbish. Down. Absolutely <laughs> rubbish. If you think Nicholas is being to you grey lady let him know give him a okay. smack around the face yeah tell me i'm a dickhead tell him that he's a dick that probably wasn't a phrase back then was it dickhead tell him that he was uncouth Ooh. oh Ooh. oh Ooh. oh oh xavier <laughs> as in <laughs> professor <laughs> x did did they film x-men here is that what you're trying to tell us right this is this is rubbish. and obviously i'll post a screenshot of all of these words up on socials okay we're gonna go and check out a gate now yeah we're gonna check out the gate where the main we'll get we'll get there it'll probably be awful so we're above where the well where the lady died in the room area 
But by the bridal suite, which is apparently her bedroom before she passed. So we're just going to wait now yeah. for Charlotte's... Oh, it's picking something it's up. picking up something up. Is that rich? <laughs> Sweeping your beer. <laughs> Let's see if it's beer. But no, I, I'm not getting, getting nothing on well, here. What was her name again? Um, Anna, wasn't it? Was it Anna? I don't know. Everybody knows her fondly as the grey lady. Okay, the grey lady, if you're here, have a, have a chat to us. Give us a word. I know it's difficult. I bet, we better not edit this, and there's like some woman talking to me on this. Oh, it's going mental. Okay, exciting. It's going to get some it. Hopefully. Century, yeah. Century. It is about a century since she died. Any other words? No? Was that a bit too much energy used up? Because it's quite a big word. Yeah, she's gone quiet. You're treating it like surreal. Because I kind of believe it is. Well, this app on this phone. Well, you never know. Oh, is this app on this phone real? It actually spiked a bit then. It did. Yeah. So how do we know that she's not here? You can't say oh, that she's oh, not. Oh, is she about to say something? You oh, can do oh, it. come on. Come on, I know it's hard. What are we going to get? No. Get on with it. No. <laughs> Don't annoy her. Why not? I think she's silly and she won't speak properly. Silly. She's trying to hide. She's using her energy up. I don't think she can though because I think she's too tired. Oh. Oh. Oh my God! That just came up and said Nick. That did just say Nick. And I will post screenshots of like I'm taking a screenshot now. That is a bit weird. That is a bit weird. (laughs) Thank you. You've been selected. You have been selected. (laughs) So. Can we stop pissing her off, please, no. and go and get a drink of gin? No, piss her off even more. No, no. Yeah, no, I'm, I think she's got the target on my back now. No, I don't think so, she has. Maybe you look like the gardener. So, so I... Oh, she didn't like that. Maybe, do I look like the gardener? Does Nick you, look like the gardener? Is that you the thing? had a bit of rough and tumble with. Don't call it rough and tumble. Maybe she was in love. Was it love? Or was it purely sex? What, someone that looked like Nick? No, it was purely <laughs> sex, because you Thank spiked. You. you spiked when I mentioned sex. There was no love. It was just a raunchy. Oh, 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 oh. You didn't oh. want to get married, so you decided to have sex. Text. Oh, yeah. she, they just texted each other. Brilliant. <laughs> right, we're going to go and get a drink. Yeah, it said my name, but how much confidence can you have in a free phone app? There is that. Yeah, but it said Nick when he was trying to piss her off. Yeah, it's a load of shit. I think that's the only word that was kind of relatable, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Xavier. Text. Sacrifice. There was texting back in those days. Yeah. But it might have been she wrote about it in her diary, which is technically a text. But she wouldn't have called it text, though, yeah, would she? I... Uh, you never know. I'm going to text you this letter. Does that make sense? <laughs> Fuck off, Owen? I think she was real. Owen was a load of, load of bullshit. Yeah. There we go. It is. It is. Fuck off. No. <laughs> no. No. There was a grey lady. There was a grey lady. She was real. And I don't care what you fuckers say. Right. The end. Can we get on with real stuff now? <laughs> yes. That was yes, fun. of course. I liked that. That was interesting. It was a nice wedding, though. I it was it. a lovely wedding. Yeah. You get as drunk as I would have liked. But what can it was do? expensive, that's why. <laughs> you both looked cute as fuck, though. It was cute. We did. We did. Of we course. Did. Thanks, Steph. Yeah. Yeah. So, today, I'm going to cover something... And I, you know, I hate trigger warnings, but we are going to talk about pretty much the worst crimes humanity has ever committed. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about Joseph Mengele, the angel of death in particular. 
Please be aware, guys, that me and Steph have a really bad habit of nervous laughter. Oh, yeah. So if we seem like we're laughing or making light of the situation, it's because we're nervous. And this subject may not have happened to us, but we feel the pain. So we nervous laugh. So we apologize if we seem unlike too jestily, but it's uh, stupidly enough, it's mine and Steph's coping mechanism. Indeed you do. That's fair enough. So, yeah. Um, have you heard about Joseph Mengele before? Do you know anything about him? I know a little bit, but I'd rather you give us the full details so that we're not getting anything wrong. Okay, fair enough. So Joseph Mengele was a Nazi SS doctor at Auschwitz and performed some horrendous experiments on people. So before I go into it, I mean, we've got, we've, we've got to do a bit of work before we, I, I want to talk about the context of the society that he was operating in, because it's so important. Yeah. Okay. To define that, because maybe outside of that context, he wouldn't have been like he was. So I've been interested in the, the Nazis for since I was a kid, really, because my granddad was on the other side of things. He didn't fight for the Germans, but he his country was taken over during the Second World War, and he worked in Germany. He saw Hitler speak a couple of times. His company that he worked for forced him to go and see him speak. Uh, he worked on the V2 rockets. You heard of the V2 rockets? Yeah. Yeah, he worked on parts for that, although he never knew at the time that's what he, he was working on. And he used to see the Jews at the train station in Munich where he lived, yeah. boarding the trains. But again, they didn't know where they were going. And he, he always used to tell me, I remember it was it came about really when, um, probably about, it was the 50th year of VE Day. He was, what, 1995, so it would have been eight. And there was a thing at school, and I think the government did it. It was like a nationwide thing. To get kids to know about the Second World War, but also to get grandparents to open up because it wasn't really something people tended to talk about and it was something they mm-hmm. kept closed. My mum yeah. said that her father, who fought for the British, never, ever talked about the war. So I think it was for kids to learn and for their grandparents maybe to open up and, you know, get rid of yeah. those those stories that they'd been, those horrible stories that they'd be keeping inside themselves. start repressing the emotion kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So ever since then, my granddad told me very bluntly about what happened. He, he seemed yeah. to think it was really important that I knew, even as a young child, um, what the concentration camps were, what the Holocaust was, because it was, it was this horrendous thing that he... Um, With your grandfather, was it more of a case of, if you don't do this, then we will kill you? Well, it's... it's country Yugoslavia was taken over and the Germans hated Yugoslavians because they were Slavic. Yeah. But my grandfather's parents were um, of Austrian descent, so they, they had it quite lenient during yeah. the Second World War and that's why he got to work, go and work in Germany. So they didn't have it as bad as most, but it it wasn't like he'd be, be killed if he, if he didn't work, but the alternative was to maybe work down a mine or be sent to the front somewhere and, yeah. and die horribly like that. And he was an educated man. He was an engineer. So, so he, yeah. yeah, his skill set was used. So I won't do the horrendous definition of Nazi ideology justice or really come close to describing the full horrors of the concentration camp system and the Holocaust. Those would take lifetimes or entire series of podcasts to, to pick yeah. apart those and stuff. Yeah. Um, and to to do it's it's quite a hard thing to stomach just to, to do that constantly, to, to focus on that. So I'm gonna talk briefly uh, about both I'll I'll talk about both briefly and we'll talk about Mengler to put his work and his psychology into the context that he found himself. 
Okay. So Nazism, National Socialism, is, is paradoxically very clear in its actions, its aims, its aggression. But at the same moment, its core beliefs can, re- can be really quite complex and es- esoteric. And so what, easily it's... Sorry, what's esoteric mean? Um, hidden, um, yeah, mysterious. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and so easily it seems that the label Nazi is often misused. It's given by some, often wrongly, to their political opponents of all stripes, even even those who never come anywhere near the ideological madness of the Third Reich, not by a long shot. To call a classical liberal or a conservative a Nazi does a massive disservice to those who suffered at the hands of true Nazism, and it shows a complete lack of understanding about what happened during the 30s and the 40s. So I think people far too liberally use the word Nazi to describe people when they're nothing. They're, they're nowhere near. It's it's completely wrong to do so because yeah. Nazism is probably the most horrendous political ideology ever ever created. Indeed. So Nazism is an extreme form of fascism. So we're just briefly going to touch up about what Nazism really is. Uh, fascism being an extreme form of political party government. The word fascism comes from the fasce, a bundle of sticks or rods that the Romans used to carry into battle. The metaphor is that the individual elements can be weak but as a bundle strong, so strength and unity grasped in the hands by one person. Okay. Does that make sense as a metaphor? It yeah. does, yeah. yeah. So it's like poetic in, yeah. in essence, really, isn't Indeed. it? So the slogan of the Nazi party would later be Ein Volk, Ein Reich, Ein Führer. One people, one nation, one leader. So that's a... What's the word? Uh, that's okay. vocalising that, that metaphor. That, yeah. And Hitler and would... I will say your German was on par then, okay? Yeah, well, I did learn when I was a child. Uh, Hitler would also caught the ancient Buddhist symbol of the swastika, which means the unconquerable. So, so he, his metaphor was very much like, no, we're all together, but you all listen to one person and we are unconquerable. Yes. He we're was, un- uh, together, we're unconquerable. Yeah. Just like, like two things. Like kind of, that's cute. It's weird like how only like one phrase and one symbol can mean the absolute world to a group of individuals, yeah. isn't it? Really outline mm. their whole entire essence. Ethos. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So fascism uh, traditionally... Fascism is, an, fascism is an Italian form. It was invented by the Italians. So that's where fasce comes from. But fascism traditionally strengthens, strengthens the unity of a nation through the creation of external external enemies to the state. It uses that ancient psychological tactic of us versus them, the virtuous versus the heathen, and the state, or rather leader of that state, is the father, the godlike embodiment of the ideals of the nation. People often accept fascism in its tense times of national struggle or suffering. The road to eliminating that suffering seems easy when someone comes along and tells you, it's not us, it's not our people, it's those who have conspired against us, who have done this to us. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. So as a direct relation to this line of thinking, the military becomes very dominant in fascist states. They're ready to fight those enemies and defend the people. The German people got a raw deal at the end of the First World War, and this is where fascism took hold in Germany. Uh, So the First World War was probably the most horrendous fight in all of human history. It was fought with old tactics but new technology. It was the old, it was sorry, it was old in the sense that it was fought by competing monarchs. So you had uh, the Kaiser in England, the the Russian Tsars. We had King in England, we didn't Mm -hmm. have a Kaiser. No, Germany was the Kaiser. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but Europe had been fighting for that for thousands of years, like that, monarchs against each other. The tactics again are old, uh, were that two armies would 
standoff, gallantly prepared to fight and die in lines with the man next to you, slowly walking towards the enemy until you met in the middle. But with inept commanders, machine guns, artillery, tanks, mines, barbed wire, trenches, that's why over a million people died at the Battle of the Somme alone. Jesus Christ, I didn't realise it was Because there was like um, an expectation that you were to slowly walk to the enemy valiantly. Like a duel as such. Yeah, because that's how wars had technically been fought for thousands of years or hundreds of years. And it just because of the technology, people were just massacred in horrendous numbers. Oh my gosh. Like um, at one million people at the sum alone. So there was no grand end battle to the First World War. It didn't end in this sort of triumphant march across. Uh, there was just a stalemate and attrition and suffering for years. One side had to give and it was the German side. The Germans were humiliated and for- forced to sign the Treaty of Versailles, which essentially crippled their economy by making them pay overwhelming of amounts of money to the victors. They were allowed no real army, no navy, no air force. They had to give up large amounts of land that were once part of Germany. Yeah, they did, like the Sudetenland, that was the first thing Hitler took back uh, when the First World War cracked out. And couple these things with the Great Depression in the 20s, the average Germans suffered more than most in Europe. Starvation and disease were rife. It would take someone with an entire wheelbarrow full of money just to buy a loaf of bread, millions of marks, because of hyperinflation, so people literally would go with arms or barrows full of money just to be able to feed their families. Germany was so destitute at the time. So did World War II start start off in good intention then? In what sense? In the fact that they wanted to win all of this back and get themselves back up in the... Um, well, that's that's the line of thinking, but I wouldn't call that good intention well. once we get into <laughs> why they started fighting. There was political fighting in the streets. The government would change hands in weeks or days at a time. There was no stability whatsoever. So when we talk about psychopaths, routinely they have troubled childhoods, don't they? Mm-hmm. So this was Germany's troubled childhood. And when we're taking into consideration why Germany as a people accepted Nazism, it's important to note that this was where most Germans grew up in, this horrendous period. So into this, a young unemployed former soldier who tried his hand at being an artist comes onto the scene. You ever seen any of Hitler's And painting? he was a fucking good artist. He was he really was. good. He was really Sorry, good. guys, I've just put some Bondrella on my lips and my tongue is numb. Mm-hmm. So if I sound weird, I apologise. But Hitler is actually a really good artist. Yeah, really delicate watercolour painting yeah if only he just stuck to art yeah he's, 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 the criticism why he didn't get into the Vienna School of Art was that his um, his people looked like stick men oh, right. which they did I'm not going to fault him for that they did but not everybody can draw people it's a oh. very hard thing to draw but his building work and yeah, his animals say, were on point he did landscapes didn't he yeah yeah well a city mostly city landscapes yeah, yeah. and he his doggos he liked to doggo he liked his doggos so initially in Hitler was employed by the army because Hitler was in the First World War, he was injured oh, was in the he? First World War. Yeah, he won the Iron Cross first oh. class, I think, as well for bravery. But it's a bit dubious whether he actually did what he said he did. He may have blackmailed oh. his commanding officer. Oh. But he did fight and he was um, injured. He, he nearly lost his sight, actually, in the First World War. When, Maybe that's uh, why he couldn't draw the people very well. Mm-hmm. No, this was before. He was an artist before he went into the First World War. Oh, was he? Okay, yeah. I thought it was after, sorry. No, so when he came back from the First World War, he was employed by the army to infiltrate some of the more extreme right-wing fascist groups that had cropped up and report back to the army. So he was actually working against fascists to begin with. They would meet in beer halls and give speeches on returning Germany to its former glory. Problem, though, was that Hitler began to agree with them and, worse, saw the leaders of these groups as ineffective and too soft. And so he began speaking up at the meetings, shouting from the back of the halls. Quickly, he'd speak every day. They'd ask him him to speak. And he was made leader of one party, the National Socialists, after a few months and completely turned his back on the, uh, the army. Wow. Just by his force of presence. And my granddad, when he said he saw Hitler speak, he said he was terrible 
terrifying but an incredibly engaging charismatic and that yeah. not really charismatic but forceful leader when you watch yeah. hitler he has these yeah. these movements with his hands and he spits and he he's just, quite very emotional yeah. yeah but he's quite jagged emotion as well which is he, quite discerning to what he used to listen to wagner and make his arm movements in time with Wagner. Oh, right. So is he'd, it he'd stand in front of him. Flight of the Valkyries, yeah. So he'd sit there and he'd, he'd in front of a mirror and he'd emulate the the sound, like almost like oh, dancing wow. to the music, but with his arms. It, it, oh, wow. That stems back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about how psychopaths... Oh, yeah, practice in a mirror. Mm, practice yeah. in a mirror. So he's trying to not convey an emotion that's produced by a sound. But it's also how entertainers might practice yeah and he realized that entertainment was part very much part of delivering a good speech or an engaging speech to people so from this nazi ideology it started pouring from hitler and as he crafted it all of germany's sufferings he would tell um the audience were not their causing but because they had been betrayed communists democrats elitists liberals and more than anyone the jews had caused all of this so anti-semitism was rife during the early part of the 20th century late 19th century as well because a lot of financial institutions were run by jews banks um lending companies like that kind of thing they seemed to be really prevalent and successful in the arts and culture. And they were seen by a lot of people, everyday people, as the hidden enemy. I mean, it was wrong, obviously, but times of despair requires scapegoat, I guess. Mm. And the Jews being maybe, um, what's the word, statistically more successful than the average German were given that scapegoat. Is it because they handled their money well, whereas, well, they view, were viewed as handling their money well? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of... Um, Fearing the different and more successful by the time yeah, I, I think it was it was jealousy and yeah. they just needed a scapegoat and who's the most successful who's at the top of society the Jews so they must be the enemy yeah. they must have put us in this situation yeah. uh, more and more people came to see Hitler in that hall so many until they had to rent the symphony halls and auditoriums to fit everybody in Jesus uh, Christ from there he would attempt a failed coup to overthrow the government but he it failed and he was arrested he was nearly shot and killed actually oh really yeah he, he walked towards uh, arm in arm with some of his comrades uh, towards the army and they, they were shot and in prison he was sent to prison but he got a really lenient sentence he basically got a, a doled up apartment in a prison and that's where he wrote Mein Kampf the book which means my struggle oh, have you okay. ever heard that that's sort of the Nazi bible weirdly yeah. enough because I know that Nazism is your piece of history whereas mine's like Victorian and serial killers and such yeah. oh and our intern for Christmas brought you yeah, he Mein did. Kampf he did bring me Mein Kampf yeah, I've never actually. I tried to read it. It's it's sort of well, it is the babbling nonsense of a madman, but it's very interesting to yeah. read. It it jumps all over the place. It's just full of the most intense hatred. That's what imagine. that's what I was leading to. Is yeah. that have you read it? So you've just answered my question. Yeah. Thank you. So in Mein Kampf, he develops his philosophy, his full philosophy of Nazism, uh, and on being released, would he'd stage a successful coup in 1933, leading to the Second World War, leading to the Holocaust. That's when he sees power in. But I'm not really going to go into that because that's a whole sort of history thing on itself. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave Nazi history there because, again, it's very, very broad. It's very murky as well, isn't it? Uh, so we're going to talk about the tenets and philosophy of Nazism. 
So this is what was outlined really in Mein Kampf. So the idea was that the Germans were part of an ancient and glorious people known as the Aryans. Included in the Aryan people were other nations of Western Europe, but the Germans were by divine right their leaders. And you remember a couple of weeks when I talked about Madame Blavatsky uh, and Theosophy? Do you remember it, we were that talking was in about your Heaven's that? Gate episode. It was in the Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. So Madame Blavatsky's idea in Theosophy was that leaders would emerge from around the world to uncover hidden, lost, ancient knowledge and ancient peoples would arise and people would follow these teachers. And Hitler was actually a member of an occult society called the Thule Society. The what society, sorry? The Thule Society. T-H-U-L-E. Okay. And that was one of the the ideas in this group, that there were leaders. And Hitler saw himself as one of these, maybe you wouldn't say a cult leader, but definitely as a spiritual leader. In essence, a cult leader, are they? He thought a lot of himself. Yeah. So the next bit is that the Aryan race had been betrayed and enslaved by hidden forces. Hidden forces that controlled the world and had subjected them, stopping them from reaching their full potential. The German people must cleanse themselves of this influence, break free, challenge head-on these enemies, destroying them completely, wiping them from the face of history so that they can never return, liberating their brothers and sisters across Europe and finally reinstating the nobility of the German of Germany and the Aryan race. They're so messed up. And finally, there was to be no mercy whatsoever to the enemies of Germany. See, that's the bit that disturbs me the most. Yeah, just that whole sentence was just like a whole mindfuck. Yeah. Yeah. So paradoxically, the Germans didn't really, during the war, they didn't really see the British, the Americans, the French as their enemies. They saw them as their kin who needed to be saved. So the German war, from their perspective, was war of liberation. And the real enemies were those who forced those nations to fight against Germany. And again, in particular, the Jews, who they thought controlled these countries. So they genuinely thought they were liberated and saving us from the Jews. So, like, what, did they view, like, Winston Churchill as somebody that was no, withholding like, us from No, it'd be, it'd be like the hidden enemy. They always described the Jews as the hidden enemy. Oh, so Winston Churchill was getting his he was a information he, he'd be from a puppet. the yeah. hidden Jews. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then I've got a piece up. of, because I collect um, things from history that have got a certain evil connotation, I guess you call it. We've, I've got flyers that the Germans dropped on England, and it's like, join us, brothers and sisters, you're being lied to. That kind of really? stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it, we, me and Nick have decided that we're going to have a wall of evil. I have lots of evil things for this and wall. We've got pieces cool. of the Berlin Wall. We've got, I don't want to say Nazi memorabilia because it's not. It's objects. It's part of pieces of history. They're history. Not, and it's like. They're not revered. We don't revere them in any oh, way. Oh, God, just no. Because it's they're, just, they're historical. And yeah. I've got things from Japan during the Second World War. Yeah. I've got things from the Crusades. And I'm currently watching on eBay a newspaper of a serial killer that's from Britain. Yeah. So, because cool. it's not so much that we revere them yeah, it's just, just interesting and yeah. yeah it is because you're holding a piece of history and yeah. you don't know what person had that some yeah. it, it might have passed through somebody's hands who really had a massive impact on history yeah. and that's Absolutely. the kind of appeal to it for me i think yeah it's uh, same for me really because you don't know the background of the individual yeah, it's absolutely. you don't yeah. know how that story personally affected them yeah because every object does have a story yeah definitely yeah. so we're going to look at who the nazis saw as unclean or as the enemies so the number one is the jews uh, the nazis believed in an extreme form of genetic study called eugenics this was in some ways uh, mainstream science before nazism was tied to social darwinism have you ever heard of social darwinism yeah i can't say i have actually so it's uh, a eurocentric but completely bullshit way of <laughs> identifying and ranking genetic characteristics so obviously races have genetic 
differences, that's true, but they are far outweighed by all that we share in common, and any geneticist worth your salt will tell you that. These differences are so small to as mostly uh, affect superficial things like skin colour, etc. Genetic differences can be seen in the world of sports, so some races are better at some sports, so like sprinting is dominated, tends to be by black people, doesn't yeah. it? And things like swimming tends to be dominated by white people. But in the world of competitive sport, the minutest of advantages matter, so it's not a model at all for the rest of society. Those differences are so tiny that they give you an advantage in that very competitive world, but in the broad spectrum, they, they don't mean anything whatsoever. No. But the Nazis thought they did. The Nazis, Nazis saw eugenics as a provable means to show Aryan racial superiority. Much work was put into the studying why Jews, Gypsies and Slavs, black people were genetically inferior, and their work quotation mark on this, was used through propaganda from the onset to make the German people see those groups as subhuman, making it a lot easier when the time came to murder millions. Oh so there, they put themselves at the top of this genetic pyramid, and they used a scientific philosophy, a uh, scientific practice to, to, justify, to it. justify it. Christ. Uh, this tied into the General Plan Ost, or the Master Plan, in translate to it in English. This was to craft the perfect Aryan human being. Uh, up to 4,000 children were kidnapped and from conquered countries all over Europe to be used as breeding stock of part of this plan. Oh god, that's vile. Yeah. They do, and it's one of the things that's rarely ever talked about uh, when the war's talked about. That they, yeah, 400,000 children, they took them. If they looked slightly Aryan or had Aryan characteristics, they'd take them from their phone. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, and they used to put them in centres, and these centres, and these centres were horrendous. They were cultic, yeah. kind of abusive playgrounds. And a lot of these kids never went home properly. They, their parents were either kids when they got back home or they just there were no records of who their parents were oh, so they ended up going into the adoption system is this where the twin thing happened or is this the twi- is the twin no, thing coming we come, we're coming to the twin okay, so Mengele okay. was a firm Josef Mengele was a firm believer in eugenics and German racial superiority he's actually a fanatic about it which explains a lot of his experiments but we'll get into that later so as mentioned before gypsies and Slav the peoples of Eastern Europe were seen to have betrayed their heritage mixing with unclean genetic pools and here in combination with Jews came common Communism, the ultimate political enemy of Nazism. In it, communist countries were seen, and communist philosophy was seen as the strong arm of the Jews. Okay. So Lebensraum. Lebensraum was a, a horrific concept that Hitler devised. Uh, it was the ultimate plan to conquer Eastern Europe, starting with Poland, and utterly wipe out the people who lived there, cleansing them completely and replacing them with uh, the children that they would breed. Oh, right. So completely just wipe Did out everybody that Everybody, was there. every single person, man, woman, and child in Eastern uh, Europe. Even re- if they didn't li- even if they lived up to the white hair blonde eyes and white hair and blonde eyes they didn't like taking chances so yeah no they way. would have wiped out the entirety of eastern europe wow. so those in charge of maintaining the purity of the german people were the schulstaffel the ss you must have heard of the ss before mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so they were tasked with being the shining white knights of nazi ideology they'd refer to themselves as and their job essentially was to cleanse the world of the unclean to maintain the integrity of the ideology, SS members would have to prove their Aryan ancestry back to 1750 to join the SS. You'd have to do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. There were fanatics who would perform the most horrendous acts during the Holocaust. Run by Heinrich Himmler, they would be responsible for the deaths of up to 15 million men, women and children in the concentration camps and as they moved forward into Eastern Europe. Mengler, as a scientist studying physiology and eugenics, was automatically drafted into the SS. So now we're going to talk about the concentration camp system. So we're looking now at a picture of the main camps in the concentration system in Greater Germany. Wait, was there that many? Well, at its height, there was 
twelve thousand. Uh, sorry, one thousand two hundred camps and subcamps which oh were God. in operation within the Nazi state. Jesus, I thought there was only one. No, one thousand two hundred. And they were primarily to exterminate the Jews, of which six million would die in these. But they also housed political prisoners, prisoners of war, gay people, mentally and physically disabled people, and gypsies. Millions of these would die in the camps as well. Auschwitz, the centre of the death machine, which is in Poland. Is it on that map? Yeah, it's there at the lower end of uh, Poland. Oh, well. Uh, the centre of the death machine would exterminate one million people alone in that one camp. But the camps were not set up from the beginning. Before the war, the Nazis started a policy of sterilising and then outright murdering people with mental and physical disabilities because they were unclean. Oh, gosh. They would drive trucks to hospitals, park them at double doors, load patients into the back of the van, which would be disguised as showers, tell them they would be having a shower, and then gas 20 or so at a time using the exhaust fumes of our air tube to the engine. They were showers, though, weren't they? They were dressed up as showers, like shower rooms, weren't they? In in Auschwitz they were as well. Yeah, yeah it's it's something they came back to using that deception. Hmm. Uh, during the beginning of uh, the Nazis' final solution, they called it the final solution because their question was, what do we do to, with the Jews? Right. So the answer is the final solution, which means extermination. Wow. The Nazis had long persecuted the Jews in the countries they conquered during the war, rounding them up into closed ghettos, especially in Poland, but there was little room left and the Nazis' ultimate aim was to exterminate them completely. Large groups were taken from the ghettos, taken to pre-dock huge pits and shot and shot thousands of uh, uh, thousands at a time having them stand one behind the other in lines as to save bullets the shot going through the third person would kill the second or even the third this is one of those pits what get out um heinrich himmler the the who's in charge of the ss realized that this was horrifically inhumane you think well not for the jewish prisoners but for the soldiers who had to shoot them uh, um wait what having them stand one behind um because it is his argument he was worried that the individually murdering people would corrupt his men <laughs> Okay. So his concern wasn't that for the Jews being massacred, it was for his own men and their mental state. It was also inefficient, he determined. So the prison camp system that was already in place for prisoners of war essentially expanded so that the Nazis could murder as many as they wanted. This how Auschwitz came to be and how gas chambers came to be the de facto method of killing people. Holding as many as 2,000 people at a time, Auschwitz in Poland was a series of 17 camps with the main being Auschwitz A. If a person was lucky enough, as soon as they arriving by train, standing on the selection platform... That's the selection platform at Auschwitz where the trains would... You see the the gate, the big tower at the back? Yeah. It'd come through there and this is where Jews were sorted. You've got the striped pyjama things as well, yeah. which is like a normal... Well, not a normal, but like the, the usual get-up for yeah. prisoners. So if a, if a person was lucky, as soon as arriving by train, standing on the selection platform with a thick stench of death in the air and a fine falling ash uh, that was like snow, people described, which was actually the cremation ovens, the cremated human bodies. Oh my gosh, so it was just falling, falling down on top like, of... Falling what? down like snow. They would be seen fit and picked for work, then marched through the famous gates of the work camp that bore the phrase Arbeit macht frei. Arbeit frei is an incredibly cynical phrase, which means work will set you free. Oh. Yeah. And the, the actual entrance to Auschwitz, it was paved with the um, gravestones of Jewish people. Oh my god! This is next level! So the people who were forced to work had a chance, but they'd often be worked, beaten or starved to death, but at least they had some kind of chance. Most people didn't make it that far and be, would be seen as too weak to work, the, the elderly, children, the ill. These people would be immediately marched to the gas chambers and then burnt in the gas... Uh, burnt in the crematorium, something they referred to as special treatment. Fucking hell. So 
I think the cruelest concentration camp was a place called Treblinka. Treblinka looked like a very nice railway station, but Treblinka had no work camp. It was purely to kill people. And it had, I couldn't find a picture of it, but the train station was a lovely sort of log cabin. It had flowers out the front. Oh, really? They were told they were going to be cleaned and washed. But as soon as they went through the nice part, there was dust. They'd be shot and burned out the back. But it was designed to make them not freak out as soon as they got there. It was an incredibly horrendous trick to play on them oh my gosh who came up with the the idea of the gas chambers um it was a combination of lots of different people experimenting okay. with different methods the main cusp uh, of it comes from when they used to kill the mentally and physically disabled with these these death fans mm. that's where the cusp of it comes from they used a, a chemical called uh, zyklon b which was a pesticide yeah and that's they found out that that was very efficient at killing people christ okay but there was another route for children every time a new train came in tall handsome doctor and his aides would walk the platform shouting twins twins this was joseph mengler and he was looking for subjects for his experiments uh. But before we look at Mengele, I want to mention other monsters who took advantage of the system. And the concentration camp system and the Nazi regime at large really provided a playground for psychopaths and their obsessions and their brutality. Yeah. So this is Irma Geyser. She was known as the Hyena of Auschwitz. Her beauty and cruelty were infamous. Starting as a nurse at an SS psychological hospital, in 1942 she volunteered to work in the concentration camp system as a guard. Oh, she, oh so she contributed towards this? She actively volunteered to be a guard at a concentration camp. Wow, okay. Working at Auschwitz, she was promoted to supervisor due to her loyalty, efficiency and obedience, in charge of selecting prisoners for who would be immediately sent to the gas chamber and being intensely jealous and petty she would always pick out the most beautiful women first to die from the lines she would mercilessly beat women sexually assault sexually humiliate torture and rape them forcing other prisoners to watch or to stand as lookout what women yes she, her, her, most of her brutality was saved for women. She was particularly fond of beating women to the breast, leaving them dead or permanently disfigured. She also screwed away around the camp, having various affairs with officers, including Joseph Mengele. Oh After being transferred to Bergen-Belsen camp at the end of the war, she was captured, tried for war crimes and execute, executed at the age of 22 for her direct part in the deaths of tens of thousands of people she personally selected to die. If you go to the next 22? Page. She was that young? Yeah, there she is on the left. Gosh. That's her during a trial in the middle. She was evil. Really quite evil. So the next one, this is Vladimir Katryuk. He was Ukrainian born, was a sergeant in a battalion of Ukrainian soldiers who fought for the Germans. Speciality was finding Jews or partisans. He was, quote, a particular active participant in the Katyan massacre. In 1943, as his squad moved east into Russia, over 200 men and women and children were herded into a barn. It was the entire village of Katya. The doors were locked and then they were burned alive. Those who attempted to escape were machine-gunned down. Jesus Christ. He escaped justice, emigrating to Canada and died at the age of 93. So he got away with it. Damn. This is Gerhard Sommer. He was part of a 10-man squad who murdered the entire village of Sant'Anna di Stanze in Italy. 560 people were killed in the massacre and their bodies burnt in an attempt to cover up the crime. He's still alive. They tried to prosecute him, but he was declared unfit for trial because of his age. Oh, that was quite recent, wasn't it? That was on the news quite recently. Yeah, he's still alive. Pardon? How old is he now then? He's... uh, I don't know. I don't know how old he is now, but he's probably in his 90s now. Yeah. 
What does the um, skull and cross? There's a skull and crossbow. Oh, that's the, on his... uh, that's, a, that's the death head of the SS. All SS officers and um, soldiers have the death head on their cap. Any reason why? Or j- there just... is a symbolism to it. It's the skull and bones is like an ancient esoteric symbol. Right. Okay. And Himmler, the leader of the SS, was obsessed with the occult. Right. So symbolology <coughs> everywhere. Okay. Yeah. This is Joseph Kramer, and he was nicknamed the Beast of Belsen. Kramer was the commandant of various concentration camps during his career, including Belsen and Auschwitz, for a short period time where he directly oversaw and organized the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people he would personally be involved in gas chamber selections beatings and the murder of prisoners he was even feared by his own men to the point where some would fake illness in order to not be assigned duties with him due to his sickening cruelty in 1941 he personally selected and murdered 87 jewish men and women ordering their skeletons to be removed as part of an anatomical study of jewish people this is isla koch she was the wife of a concentration camp commandant she was renowned for her sadism and had particular fondness of skinning the tattoos from dead prisoners she only avoided hanging after being found guilty of war crimes because she was pregnant during the trial and served the rest of her life in prison this is, this is, yeah, I don't like this man. I don't like any of them, like, especially this man. Oscar Delvanger, he was a psychopathic killer, child molester, rapist, and necrophiliac who volunteered to be an SS member. Charged with rounding up Jews in the countryside, he he would either lock them in buildings and burn them uh, or murder them outright, taking any young women and raping them or beating them to death, encouraging his men to join in with him. Oh Nazi reco- records show his unit killed around 200,000 people, but he personally murdered just sort of 14,000 people himself. Did any of these have like criminal records before they joined the SS? Or Most did... didn't, yeah. no. So they were all clean slate mm-hmm. until they came into this? So yeah. there was no predisposition in any yeah. way? But that man personally killed 14,000 people. And the last one we're going to look at is Paul Blobble, and he's he's the worst, actually. He was another death squad commander responsible for the Barbie Yar massacre, whose unit killed hundreds of thousands. He was also charged with digging up the mass graves that were used before the gas chambers and crematorium in an effort to hide the evidence of Nazi war crimes that happened at the end of the war when the Germans were trying to cover up what they did. So they would exhume the bodies and burn them. Wow, I suppose that's quite Sorry, hard to do with the amount. Um, so he was a stickler for numbers and accountancy. And we know, because of this, exactly how many people this man personally killed. And it was 59,018 men, women and children, making him the biggest serial killer in all of human history. Wow. Wow. So, we're going to go to Joseph Mengele. As if that wasn't This enough. is Joseph Mengele. So, he was born on the 16th of March, 1911, in Bavaria, Germany. He was the oldest of three children. He was brought up in a middle-class household and lived a comfortable early life. His father, owning a successful farm machinery production company, gave the whole family a decent life. He liked to ski. That was his main thing in life, and he also liked music and art. His relationship with his mother was interesting. She was a strict Catholic, very obese, forceful lady, and very imposing, people said about her. Some reports say that she was very doting on Josef, but Mengler himself wrote about her, quote, she was not capable of love. I, I mentioned the mother because it's when you, we talk about psychopaths, like the parents, issues. yes, it's always quite prevalent, isn't it, in psychopaths? Yeah. yeah. So in 1930, he, stood a, he studied a philosophy and medicine degree in Munich. It was here, Munich was sort of the centre of the Nazi world in the early 1930s is where their power base was. He became completely and utterly indoctrinated and would become a lifelong believer. Uh, in 1955, he got a PhD in anthropology and became a doctor. Here he began to uh, attend lectures by a doctor called Ern- by a man called Dr. Ernest Rudin, and Dr. Rudin was a shit. Dr. Rudin believed that <laughs> not only some lives not worthy, but doctors had the responsibility to, to destroy and cleanse such life. That was his... I mean, do no harm is the, is the traditional mantra of the doctor, but... Yeah, not these guys. No. 
And this idea of the doctors had the right to take life really inspired Mengele. In 1937, the Nazi state in full swing, he was hired by the Hereditary Biology and Racial Hygiene Institute in Frankfurt, where he worked for Dr. Ottmar Freiherr von Verschen, a German geneticist with a particular interest in researching twins, and this is where Mengele would get his interest in twins from. Twins. He wanted to make himself renowned and known as a scientist. In 1938, he joined the SS in order to further his career. In 1939, he married, but there was some controversy over whether his wife had Jewish blood because she couldn't prove her ancestry back to 17. It took a while to be officiated, but they had a son named Rolf in 1944. So he was married and he did have children. Why 1750, by the way? Um, I think it's they came up, must have come up with that number to, uh, as a definition of that's how long you need to be racially pure. It just seems like such a random it must be time to go back X to. X amount of generations, I'd imagine. Uh, Okay. So uh, from there, he joined the medical corps of the SS. And when the war broke out, he was sent to the Ukraine and received the Iron Cross for bravery. What happened was um, he pulled two soldiers out of a burning tank while under enemy fire. So he was regarded as a war hero. Yeah. At the end of 1942, he was injured during that that. Um, incident though but at the end of 1942 he was reposted to the race and resettlement office which was in charge of that master plan to cleanse eastern europe and it, this was in berlin and he worked his way through the ranks and he found out about auschwitz and the concentration camp system and saw it as an incredible opportunity so that would go in by the time he joins the ssn yes right so he, he yeah because for somebody like mengel who's got interests in geneticism yeah auschwitz in particular would have been a perfect opportunity yes. so on the 23rd of may 1943 he arrived at auschwitz and was eager to carry on the research he had started before the war with the previous doctors that he'd been mentoring with but now having live human subjects rather than theory or animals he could do with these people whatever he wished he was also involved in the selection process you know on that 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 train track we saw yeah uh, as a doctor he was useful to decide who was fit to work on his first day he chose 1035 gypsies for immediate extermination that was the first thing he ever did at auschwitz oh my gosh he despised gypsies more than any other group and would not rather let none of them live he was looking for people to experiment on and he was very specific so on this this um this is joseph mengele while he was in the ss Right. This is Joseph Mengele, the selection platform on the left there. Oh, yeah, just got him, yeah. Yeah. He was looking for people to experiment on, and he was very specific. He cast a long shadow at the selection platform, always impeccably dressed, chain-smoking, deciding who lived and who died with a flick of a wrist. Right, so I'm going to read a quote from a book now, and it's a book by Eva moses Court, and she is a survivor of Auschwitz since she was a twin, and her, miraculously, her and her twin sister survived their experiences with Joseph Mengele. Wow. So this is what she writes about the first time she ever saw Josef Mengele. Uh, Dr. Josef Mengele entered the barracks. He was dressed elegantly in an SS uniform and tall, shiny black riding boots. He wore white gloves and carried a baton. My first thought was how handsome he was, like a movie star. He strode through the barracks, counting twins at every bunk, with an entourage of eight people accompanying him. We later found out that the group included a Dr. Koenig, a girl who was the interpreter and several SS guards and assistants. Mengele was never escorted by fewer than eight in his entourage at these barrack checks. So he went round, he liked having a group of people following yeah. him around. Was that for security reasons or was that for personal preference? <coughs> he was a narcissist. Oh, okay. He was a complete narcissist. Personal preference. He seemed to relish the selection process. 
In total, he oversaw 74 incoming transports, 80% of the people he, he would send to their desk immediately. And of the process, he said himself, quote, Here the Jews enter through the doors and leave through the chimney. Oh my gosh! How dark is that? Yeah. His instructions to his entourage was to seek out those who were deformed, overly tall, midgets or lame. But it was identical child twins he was most interested in. Of the 3,000 twins Mengele experimented on, only 200 would survive the war. The age of the twins ranged from around 5 to 15. Was that per pair or was No, that that's three... in total. So okay. 3,000 people, 3,000 children in right. total and 200 survived. He was interested in twins because it, it's, it provided an, ex, uh, uh, an opportunity to experiment on one and then have a clean copy, almost he'd probably call it, okay. that hadn't had anything done to them so he could compare them after they died. Wow. Okay. That's why twins were of particular interest to him. He was interested in the whole twin uh, thing that, uh, that twins are supposedly have as well, isn't it? The, the, the kind of one sense. So if you hurt one, then the other one will feel it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of bizarre concepts yeah. It wasn't really science, but we'll, we'll get no. into that. Um, he was not the first to perform human experiments at the camp, but he took this to a more brutal and cruel level than anyone had before. The twins were housed in squalid bunkers, ripped from their parents at the train station who were more than likely dead by the time they got inside. Barely enough food or warmth, their beds were infested with lice and rats, cold, wearing clothes taken from dead prisoners that were far too big for them. Even Moses describes something that happened on her first night in the court as a, in the court sorry I'm going to read that quote um, so she's her and her sister are on their way to the toilet at the end of the barracks quote then we hurried to the end of the barracks the latrine was about 12 feet square with dark wooden walls and a cement floor latrines are like are not like bathrooms today they have floors with holes in them that you have to perch over they were even worse than the rest of the barracks vomit and human feces that had missed the holes of the latrine were everywhere the smell was hideous we stepped inside and I froze there in the floor in the filth were the dead bodies of three naked children Oh I had never seen a dead person before. There they lay on that hard, cold, stinking floor, dead. Wow. So just in the toilet alone, there were three dead, naked children. Christ. So on the days when the children were to be experimented on by Mengler, they were clean, dressed in fresh pyjamas, and treated with cynical kindness. Mengler himself was known to smile, saying that they could call him uncle and handing out sweets to them. Oh my God. So this is the really bad bit. This is okay. the kind of experiments that he did on these children. Because the leader wasn't. <laughs> so in the various labs dotted around the camp, the twins were injected with deadly diseases. As soon as one died, the other would be immediately killed at once. They'd be opened up and their organs compared and then their organs sent off to places in Germany for study. What was he planning on finding? What was he trying to find in this experiment? Well, he was, he was trying to find what it means to be genetically identical for it. But it also, again, provided an incredible way for him, horrifically, of having a perfect control specimen <laughs> who is identically, genetically identical to the person he just murdered. Right. So he could infect one twin, see how it affected them, and then compare it directly to the other twin's organs. Oh, gosh. But if your twin died, that means you were immediately about to die. Wow. wow. So some of the children were beaten to death with rifle butts methodically and slowly to measure the trauma and development of tissue damage. They were hung from the rafters and beaten slowly but i just don't get why other than to see what these wounds did mm. which is just messed up yeah some twins were sewn together for fuck's sake yeah christ some had had their organs or limbs removed to assess how long it would take them to die without various parts of their body <sighs> 
Open wounds were purposefully infected with gangrene. Girls were sterilizing, sterilized using various experimental methods. Sex change operations were performed on boys and girls. No! Yeah. Eyes were injected with various chemicals to see if their colour could be changed. They were electrocuted to see what the, the um, tolerance of children was to electrocution. They were immersed in freezing cold water until they died, or they were immersed in freezing, freezing cold water, pulled out and then beaten to death. I'm actually welling up. No, this is fucking mental. So these are Mengele's twins. These are them being experimented on. Jesus fucking Christ. That's in that's an adult patient, but that's the kind of freezing baths that they'd be submerged into. Um, all of these experiments were done without anaesthetic. There was no anaesthetic used whatsoever. So the suffering of these children is beyond anything. Yeah, this is hurting my soul right now. And some of the doctors who worked with him on these experiments were Jews. He would force Jewish doctors to help him perform these experiments rather than being sent to the gas chambers themselves. Uh, This is a quote um, from a biography about Mengele. And this is one of his... um, Sorry, no, this is Alex Dekel, somebody who worked as one of his aides, a Jewish Jewish doctor. Quote, I have never accepted that Mengele believed he was doing some serious medical work. He was exercising power. Major surgery was performed without anaesthetic. Once I witnessed a stomach operation, Mengele was removing pieces from the stomach but without any out any anaesthesia it was horrifying on jewish holidays he would become even more barbaric on yom kippur which is a a jewish festival he celebrated by sending a thousand children to the gas chamber and laughing on one instance he had a pit dog a fire started and 300 children alive were thrown into the flames so they could study how flesh burnt at varying temperatures his even his colleagues colleagues complained that his work had little to do with research as time went on and it was more to do with pure sadism he had a particular fondness of saving the lives of pregnant mothers normally they'd be sent straight to their deaths but Mengele would see them at the, the station and allow them to give birth but he would tape up the woman's breasts after giving birth, taking great interest in watching the newborns starve to death because they couldn't feed on their mothers. The mother would then be sent to the gas chambers once the baby had died. Again, this is a quote from a biography about Joseph Mengele that I'll link in the, uh, the show notes. Unlike the majority of Nazi killers, Mengele did not have to be drugged or drunk in order to carry out his murderous work. In fact, according to Jewish survivors who were forced to assist in the laboratories, he was enthusiastic in his infliction of cruelty. And it was at this time and at the height of his cruelty he met Irma Geyser, the lady we looked at earlier, the hyena. They enjoyed each other's company very much. And they'd often joke about being the perfect Aryan couple. But his sexual desires also sometimes extended to the prisoners. On one occasion, a Sorry, this is another quote from the biography. On one occasion, a beautiful 15-year-old Jewish girl from Transylvania stood in front of him. Mengele was clearly aroused by the girl. Obviously torn inside, because you're not allowed to be attracted to Jewish people, he had the girl selected for special experimentation. Over the next hour, he caused such deformity to her body that she resembled an old, decrepit hag. He left her to die, having overcome his illicit lust. Mengele noticed one small boy who he took a shine to, a Jewish boy. He thought he looked like him. So he dressed him up in an exact copy of his uniform and lab coat. He showed him affection and had him accompany him all day. But after a month, he was tired of the boy and personally led him by hand to the gas chamber and watched him be murdered. So the commandant, uh, Rudolf Huss, uh, who was the commandant of Auschwitz, pretty much from its inception right to just before the end, and then he came back at the end. He was there for most of the time. This is what he said about Mengele. He carried out all tasks given to him under often very difficult conditions, 
to the complete satisfaction of his superiors, often using his little off-duty time to utilise the scientific material at his disposal to make a valuable contribution to anthropological science, meaning in his off time he still liked to murder people. During, the 19, uh, during 1945, the Russians were closing in on Auschwitz at the end of the war and the Germans abandoned the camp. They actually abandoned and then realised they'd abandoned it and they should probably come back and try to kill as many people as they did uh, as they could. So they came back, murdered a few tens of thousands and then left for good. But they did leave a lot of prisoners to fend for themselves. And we've all seen the pictures of how these prisoners were found in their striped uniforms and skeletal. Mengele, like many other Nazis, assumed other identities, sorry, I can't even remember what it was, and he fled. He was arrested at one point by the Russians, but they didn't have any prior knowledge of him. No list of wanted Nazis had been put up at this time, so he escaped them. So after Germany lost the war, there was there was two ways a lot of very high-profile Nazis got out of the country. And one was called Operation Paperclip, which was only disclosed not too long ago. And it was an American project to... Cause the, the Germans, in, in some ways, were so far ahead of the Americans and the British and the Russians that they wanted to capture the German scientists and use them themselves after yeah. the war. So Operation Paperclip was the clandestine operation to kidnap and force German scientists, no matter how horrific they'd been, in order to work for them. Uh, but only if they were of use, um, really. Not every every SS crawl member was, was given a place and a lot of Nazis escaped to Argentina because Peron, the president of Argentina was a fascist and very supportive of Nazi ideas so a hell of a lot of like Eichmann went to Argentina yeah. who was pretty much in charge of the whole Holocaust, Mengele went to Argentina. He lived a comfortable life in, Ar- in Argentina under an assumed identity and he was well liked and respected amongst the local Nazi community, there were even communities, full wow. communities villages of Nazis who had escaped and lived there. But in 1959 he signed identity was discovered by Jewish investigators who had been searching for him to prosecute him for his crimes. Yeah. He fled to Brazil to get away from them and he moved to a farm owned by a family called the Stresners in 1962. They would end up completely despising him over time. He outstayed his welcome but he did stay there until he died. But his child and wife disowned him by this point and by all accounts at the end of his life he led a lonely and miserable existence and he so died he wasn't prosecuted in 1950 in 1979 he died of a stroke he was never held accountable for the crimes he committed to these the children actual and i'm going to cut this out with this is um so he, he was living in brazil at this point and the stressner family had um children wow oh god i think i've Oh god, I think I've seen this video. And I just told it is. So this is Joseph Mengler and he's he's got one of the stress uh, stressors grandchildren on his knee in this and he's singing to them and this is the last known recording of or evidence of Joseph Mengler. <laughs> That's Joseph Mengele just before his death. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what to say. We're both crying. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck's sake. This is why I don't like it when people describe people casually as Nazis, because that's a Nazi. That is the horrific face of Nazism in its purest form. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly don't know what to say. No, I'm like really holding tears back right now. (laughs) Christ. Well, that was a good story. Like, fuck. yeah, 
It's something that never should be forgotten. No. Definitely. And the most terrible part of it is that he, he got away. He did get away with it. <laughs> I'm laughing purely because I cry and I don't cry. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're going to take a break. Yeah. And, um, maybe look at some pictures of kittens or something. Kittens would be good right now. <laughs> yeah. And then we're going to come back with Steph's story. So we're just coming back because I, I just wanted to ask you two a question about this. Um, you obviously both got really quite upset about yeah. that, understandably. I'm yeah. still upset. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. yeah. So the interesting thing to me more than anything else, or the interesting question rather, is whether... The ideology of Nazism made Mengele a monster, or no. whether he may have been a psychopath to begin with. I think he was a psychopath to begin with, and that he just had the because he had the inclination from the studies that he did yeah. beforehand. He started before, but it was the openness of the ideology that allowed him to further. Yeah, it was literally like an open door for him to do whatever the fuck he wanted to. Yeah, and have a reason to do it. Well, a fucked and up reason, for but what, still a reason for the view of him he and a lot of the nazis thought they would win the war yeah so for well, him, him there would it. be no repercussions which is a common denominator in psychopaths yeah. is that they don't realize that the repercussions are there so to him there would be no repercussions yeah well hitler declared a thousand year right that germany's army and struggle would last a thousand years and then they would win right but um I think nazism turned the entirety of germany into a psychopathic entity um well, it was feeding a it was it was feeding a lot of people a very warped idea of what mm-hmm. the world should be. A lot of people weren't Nazis; they weren't believers in it. They yeah. just went along because there was there was no other option. And from but, what we've spoken about in previous episodes, that we know that you're more likely to come across a psychopath, mm-hmm. and that because but it's how that psychopath handles it, yeah. and yeah. how and I think with that country in the state it was in, yeah, they were given a platform to jump indulge from. in that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we'll leave it there. Right then. Um, so we're back, and thank you all very much for listening to that, that yeah, and first I'm part. So sorry to anybody that has got Jewish backgrounds that the thought that your family would have had to go through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. But it's good to talk about these things. Yeah, it it's not ever to be something to be forgotten because if it's forgotten, there's a chance that it could happen again. But yeah, definitely. If it's spoken about and people know how disgusted other people are about it, then the likelihood of it, I hope, personally, that it would decrease a hell of a lot. Yeah, but with human beings, history does repeat itself. Yeah, which is the terrifying thing. But now we're on to paranormal and hopefully this is a little bit brighter. Yeah. Brighter with ghosts. Brighter with ghosts. With ghosts and mental asylums. I think it's a mental asylum. Yeah. It is a mental asylum. Okay, let's get... We're bringing the mood up a bit. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So... Today I'm kind of just uh, bringing you a bit of a an interesting uh, asylum that I kind of came across. I've got some really interesting um, facts about this kind of place, but essentially I'm going to be playing you this video of a um, um, of the uh, the group that went into uh, the Pool Park Asylum, uh, which is near Ruthin in Wales. So Ruthin. Ruthin. How do you pronounce that in Welsh, Charlotte? <laughs> All the phlegm. If you want something else to phlegm over, it's um, it's it's more specifically located in Cloudenuid. <laughs> Let me read it's it. Not... <laughs> it's, it's not a language. <laughs> it's just a lot of consonants. 
at the top, the big long word. It's that a noise look. made by sort of mountain creatures. Cloud newt. What? Cloud newt. That doesn't sound like it's got enough syllables. Cloud it has no syllables. There's because, no syllables in the world. Because a lot of them are put together. Okay. Yes. I will take your word for that. Are you sure it's a language? They're not just having a laugh. <laughs> They're just clearing just... their throat all the time. <laughs> all I'm going to say yes. is fuck off. <laughs> I love you, Wales. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't laugh. Self-deprecating humor is always great. <laughs> yeah, considering we're both actually half Welsh. We're Welsh. So... Actually Welsh. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, because his mother was born and raised in Wales. So, yes, this Owen is, is fully half Welsh. Anyway, we're interrupting fully Steph. Fully half. We're interrupting <laughs> Steph's story. Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to lighten up Steph. a little bit. Okay. We're going to get that bit. Okay, so, Paul Park Asylum um, was built in 1862. So, it was, you know, it's gone, it's, it's been done its rounds. Ye old. Ye olde, indeed. Um, but it was first built for the second Lord of Bagot. 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 Bagot, yeah. Like, uh, we're keeping up French. appearances were highest. <laughs> yeah. It's bouquet, Sorry. not bucket. Bucket. Um... <laughs> So yeah, so it was it was it was owned by a very wealthy chappy, um, and you know was looked after by the upper echelons of society. Um, however, in 1937, it was sold to the North Wales um, County's Mental Hospital, which was in need of an overflow building from patients from nearby asylum called the Denby Insane Asylum. Now, this insane asylum was one of the examples where they did some interesting things to their patients. So, for example, they performed uh, lobotomous, uh, lo- lobotomies frivolously. So they were just doing it left, right and centre because they really could um and also doing the whole kind of dunking them into cold water and also caging them as well cold bathing as well as caging pardon cold bathing which is the dunking in the cold water it's like a butland indeed red coats and everything (laughs) maybe no sing songs though i imagine in my head that's what butlands is like a little bit yeah yeah and all the jazz hands So, yeah, you can imagine the kind of mental state of these, um, of people that were coming in. Um, They were already being mistreated and then they were coming into this, uh, what's essentially called as a pauper lunatic asylum. So it was for the ridiculously poor and um, sort of destitute people that didn't really have a a place to go. They, Mm. They weren't all necessarily... Um, mental in a way they like a lot of people were sort of sent to these asylums for just being poor so there was they, could, they didn't yeah, have anywhere house. yeah, yeah. they poor, didn't poor have house. anywhere else to put them absolutely so yeah <clears throat> and it also became a prisoner of war camp for world war Two. funnily enough as well oh right okay so tying in hmm. so yeah um it was a it was a pauper lunatic asylum for those who were poor and um, suffered from uh, things such as schizophrenia, postnatal depression, and also poverty as well. Uh, you'll actually find um, that women who were taken over by postnatal depression, uh, resulting in insanity, um, suicidal thoughts, and destruction of their own children sometimes as Ooh. well. Emphasize, yeah. What actually causes postnatal depression? I, I don't really know much about it other than um, it's postnatal the, and it's Basically, depression. it's <laughs> when you give birth to a child... It's the thought that you are not good enough to look after the child to make that child survive. It may be that you've lost a previous child okay. and you're scared that that will happen again. Mm-hmm. I it, thought maybe it was a biological thing that through the process of giving birth, maybe chemicals were released into it, the body. It can be of... that as well. They have In more recent times, they have put it down to the chemical influx yeah. and the endorphins and the drugs that get pushed into your system dur- during like 
pregnancy and birth well mainly birth sorry yeah but it's those who suffer with depression are more likely to get postnatal depression okay but it can happen to anybody and yeah. if it does happen it's okay it is okay it's okay there are plenty of places that you can go get help nowadays mm-hmm. and midwives and doctors and everybody from having a child the get-go is on the lookout for it nowadays so you yeah. can seek help and sometimes it doesn't even happen till like three four months after the child's been born which is where your midwives come in and your um child welfare like agents because you get them i can't remember their official name i know that's not it but it's like a midwife that comes and helps you along the way and gives you suggestions the the treatment they've got it in the bag they've got it yeah yeah. and it happens i think the statistic nowadays it happens to 85 percent of people like women sure and males can get it as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. You kind of find that as well, that women that uh, find that they don't bond with their babies, they, like, straight away, they kind of overthink the situation as well. So you, they sort of, like... So they're kind of like, I didn't bond with my baby as soon as they popped out, so therefore my bond will never get to this, so I don't mm. want to burden my baby with my unbondedness. And then they kind of just ricochets from there yeah. and they become more detached from their baby and then it sort of happens in that sort of way. Do you think a lot of these cases we cover with, with psychopaths when they have awful relationships where their mothers who don't love them could be a product of postnatal depression? Um, partially, yes. I mean, yeah. yeah, it could be plausible in some cases, but most of the time you find that postnatal depression does kind of blow over. It yeah. takes time, but you do get cases where it sort of carries on into okay. adult life as well. Okay. Yeah. I just ask because I, I don't really know anything about it other than the term, and it happens uh. postnatal and it's depression. Yeah. 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 There's a lot there's a lots of ways why and how and and how it manifests and stuff like that but it's not one size fits all for every postnatal depression case. And like we said there's many paid laces out there now that you can get help for it so yeah. indeed. Fair enough. So uh news reports of the time um described the um hospital as the following. Uh the fearful of, of these are all these are all like ye olde quotes as well by the way guys. So this is good old English here. Yeah. Uh, the fearful extent, uh, the fearful extent of which insanity prevails among the poor, is subject to great and melancholy interest um, to us all. Um, it causes to uh, causes that tend to increase insanity may be may be reckoned and extreme uh, distress, poverty, uh, use of arduent spirits, and exposure to the cold. So they're kind of putting the arduent spirits. Alcohol. Yeah, so oh, okay. drinking a lot of alcohol. To ward off the cold. Yeah, and they put this down to insanity, and that's one of the reasons why they were put into these sorts of asylums. Oh, okay. So a pauper can be manacled with cords, or extreme cases can be straightened with a straitjacket. Um, eight out of uh, eight or ten lunatics were confined to a small room. There was no light except for the skylight, no ventilation, uh, without any regard of classification or any interest of trying to make them better. So they were literally just put in a room with a lot of people left to their own devices to wallow in their own insanity they were warehousing them yeah indeed mm. indeed a but lot, a lot of, sorry Steph so a lot of them did sort of have uh, mental issues but they weren't they weren't classified high enough to basically give a shit over they just really they just left them to their own devices and to again wallow in their own self and a lot insanity. of asylums back in like 1800s were used to warehouse them because yep. they didn't want them on the streets they indeed didn't want them around yeah 
and like the, the it kind of lends itself to the 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 post uh, the camp uh, the, the prisoner of war camp for World War Two as well because they were just sort of put in a room again left to their own devices. So again, it yeah. was just. Um, but I found that um, in this time, uh, a lot of mental asylums were sort of overflow areas for other mental asylums, and they all did sort of similar things uh, within their in their asylum. So I'm going to show you bits of this video at the moment. So this is a video by um, the uh, by the Dark Art TV channel. Um, I, I'm and already skeptical of this video because it's got a giant red arrow and it uses a SpongeBob SquarePants font. <laughs> oh my god, says, I've not noticed that. Touched by a ghost! WTF! Exclamation mark. So I'm already <laughs> on the line about this before it's even started. What's about the SpongeBob? Um, uh, it just doesn't. It just doesn't scream out scientific uh, rigor. <laughs> the <Does> SpongeBob. <laughs> he cites it. He cites it himself. Yeah. <laughs> he is when you have a look at his parents. What? Well, SpongeBob's parents are sea sponges, but SpongeBob is a kitchen sponge. Is he? Is I've he never not? seen. I've never seen a SpongeBob. I just know the font. <laughs> I'm a stickler for fonts. You see. <laughs> That, that's the illustrated graphic designer in your neck. That's cute. Anyway. It's like I've said before, I'm going to put comic stands on your gravestone. Yes. There's yeah. nothing more professional no. than comic stands. If you do that, I'll, or I'd, chiller. I don't believe chiller. in ghosts, but I would come back and haunt you. I'd find a way. <laughs> I'd find a way. So there's a bit in this video where um, I'm sort of like... Okay, it did kind of mess me up a little bit because um, some of the things, because again they were using the ECG, EVF, EVF, EVM, EVPG, well, you've got EVP, EVP, or, which is the electric voice projection. Yes, or yeah. you've got an EMV. V. It was the electric voice projection. Okay. So they, they were they were they were getting. Is that the, the ovulus thing? Like an ovulus, yeah. Yeah, mm. where it goes. Hey, oh, I am a ghost. Yeah, but this one's a little bit more harrowing. Okay. So, would you mind uh, skipping to 53 minutes, please, my lovely? Bloody hell, is there literally nothing in the first <laughs> hour of this? I mean, it's a lot of calling out and... It, is it, it they're going, oh no, I felt something. Did you feel it? No, I didn't. 53 what, Steph? Just 53. Start at 53. Okay. Oh, nice beard. Yes. Okay, so let's watch this bit here. It's going to switch your night vision. Switch on to night vision. Yeah, well, K2, uh, K2's gone off. Yeah. Getting really cold again here. How many spirits are with us here now? Two. Two. Yeah, I'm just going to grab the K2 and bring it a bit closer to us. Two. Just going to put it on the hallway. I can make a nice call. Yeah. Hey, isn't it? There is a window over here. But yeah, well, whether that's causing the draft or not, I don't know. It just seems to be in certain waves, doesn't it? Yeah. Can you tell us your name? I'm going to switch to night vision. Carl. Carl. That was a four. You know my name? Yeah. Yeah, it's going again. Can you tell me my name?
This song is it used? Is there any way you'd like us to go? Run. It's so cold there, but it's alright. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's in my bones. It really is in my bones, mate. Oh. oh, man, it's like super, super cold in my bones. It's bad. It's, yeah, it's bad, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Where would you like us to go? Outside, is it? Can you touch one of us? Touch one of us. Yeah. No, no, what was it? It's like a sound. Oh, what? It's just another. No. Fucking hell, man. What? She must just fucking like. Put, put me in somewhere. Oh, yeah, mate, yeah. what the f? Look at that. Mate, seriously, look at that. It's, mate, it's like someone's fing pinched me, mate. I'm not joking. Look yeah. at that. Just as Andy and Dan heard what seemed to be the same dragging sound that we heard earlier coming from behind us. Something felt like it had pinched the top of my thumb. It's hard to comprehend and fully understand how something of an unexplained nature can cause physical harm. We rule out any possibility of me accidentally catching my hand on something. Is that you? Mate, what the f pal? I did. I did. Why did you do that to come? Man, are you f***ing kidding me? Look at this. Look at that. That's just happened man what the f mate that's a f like it felt like as if someone just like pinched me or something like yeah, yeah. that's like, nice. like, yeah. like stabbed me yeah you know man mate that's what that is are you mate what the is that too smart no it's nails, isn't it? Yeah. no no round can you hand the other way looks like there's a third one there what the there's another one that was slicer, or is that an old one? I don't know. What the f, mate? That's f***ing up. Right, I don't appreciate that. We come here with love and light. The f stay here. Respect between respect. No violence. Mind you, did ask them to show you. Mate, I thought, yeah, well, that's. Man. How, how is that? How is this possible? How is that possible? How have you, how have you just done that? It's come to the point now where it's just beyond. It's just beyond ridiculous. What? I just know it's a laugh or cry, mate. You should not hear what it's saying all the time. I thought it was just laugh or cry because it's just stupid, mate. You know what I mean, we're getting touched and Sam, this shit's happening. You said what? It's, I don't know what to laugh or cry because you know I mean it's, big, it's beyond ridiculousness. Because if, if this shit's happening just like that, that's not normal, mate. Whoa! Do do what's up? There was like I turned that way to look, and there was like as if I shone my torch, it lit up, and then went back again. Went back again. Yeah. It's like a, a pulse of light down the corridor. 
stable. We'll switch the lights back off, Mum. <laughs> so, what you've just seen there, and again, I'll I will hook this up to all of our socials and whatnot, so you guys can see it too with the exact. Uh, Mention the YouTube channel again. Uh, yeah, so it's called the Dark Arts TV um, channel, and the video is called "Attacked by Evil Entity in Scary Haunted Pool Park Asylum" in all capital letters. Pool. There's a pool. Pool Park Asylum. Yeah. yeah. Pool Park. Mm. Um. So yeah, this is apparently one of the most. Um, yeah, it's the most interactive um, ghost story, ghost um, encounter that somebody has encountered in, in whatever they're sort of investigating. Now... Sorry, at this place? Ever. Like, this is like the, the one of the most um, evidence-ready videos of a ghost hunting team going into a place mm. and getting this much, much activity, I guess. I'm a bit suspicious. Well, this is where it comes on to my next question. Are we calling bullshit, guys? Apparently, this this is a, this place is full of um, the the lunatics um, and uh, the supposedly there's a poltergeist down there as well. Um, but looking at the video, what are we? What do we think? Well, immediately it's a YouTube channel, <clears throat> and people have to compete for views on YouTube. So, mm-hmm. these are an established as, thing. Uh, uh, meaning. They're an established. They're they're a, a, a well up there. Ghost okay, well that group. doesn't that doesn't mean they're being completely truthful though, does <laughs> it? Just because they're established. <laughs> so, because they're a YouTube channel, I've I'm immediately slightly skeptical. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say um, that they're completely genuine about it. I'm suspicious of those spirit boxes because, from my understanding, they they cycle radio frequencies multiple mm-hmm. times a second, don't they? And then mm-hmm. when they pick up something, they stay on that signal. Radio signals are everywhere, and they are indeed. The, they can sound quite impressive, but the the things are always like. Nah, nah, nah. He was replying nah, back nah. to him though. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Run. I mean, I, like I've, I didn't. I've written it down. So they were saying, um, uh, "Where would you like us to go? Outside. How should we get there? Run, run." Um, yeah, but these these were the subtitles that, that they were. These were the subtitles they were put, putting up on the screen. I I can't imagine without the subtitles, you you might get. You pick that up. I just heard. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it wasn't a Mars attack. Yeah, I agree with Nick. <laughs> I feel like because they want to hear something, they're psychologically hearing the words rather than it actually saying it. Okay. It's sense? it's impre- it can be impressive. It can be yeah. impressive, but I don't. I know what Charlotte's going to say. I don't like it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Charlotte's giving me the middle finger for those. Well, obviously nobody can see it. Huh? That was obviously right then. Charlotte, go on. What are you going to say? <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> are you convinced? Are you feeling it? Not so much the scratch. Okay. No. I've, I did look under like previously, and when he raises his hand up the video, he doesn't have a scratch before this scene. Yeah, know, but you can always catch yourself on a zipper exactly or something. That's yeah. what, and it's I've done it a thousand and one times. Yeah. But the voices. They're nah. very clear. I didn't get that they were clear. Well, I was. Lis- I got the run, like the single syllable things. I was were- listening out for them because I'm partially deaf, so I have to listen extra like hard. So I closed my eyes, so I wasn't reading the subtitles. Yeah. And I got the Did where you- do you want to go us to go outside? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. It- you get a string of noises. I'm I'm not sure I get that. But how would I hear it, that? Are you going to play another one of these? Another spirit box tonight? 
no, that was that. that was oh, okay. Because I was going to say maybe if we shut our eyes and sort of try yeah, to figure it out rather than. I heard it, and that's why I don't like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are other examples in this video where uh, where they do have interactions with with spirit boxes, but that's the most active part in their little shindig. Yeah. Um, and it's the same spirit box that BuzzFeed use. It is, yeah. We like a show now called BuzzFeed Unsolved. BuzzFeed, I despise, but BuzzFeed Unsolved is brilliant. I'm a little actually. bit in love with Shane and they, Ryan. They do, they're on YouTube and Amazon Prime, so definitely check them out. Yeah, they are they a really good show. Yeah, they do both true crime and supernatural, so... Yeah. Oh, there you go. What do you think? Me? Yeah. I was a little bit sold, I'm not going to lie. It's a bit scary. I don't like it. No, I was a little bit sort of... Because like when, when, when I was researching this and when I was looking into it, like it does kind of... It does really like play on you a little bit. And also, I have a photo. Okay, so I like a photo. Here's a photo picture. A, f- a photo picture. A photo. One of those. <laughs> one of them photo. <laughs> photo pictures. <laughs> so this is um, uh, evidence evidence that these guys um, that's been seen in Paul Park, which is essentially what they think is a ghost holding a noose. So as you can see, it's beautifully ha- highlighted in red. I can't see. Hold on. Yeah. Owen's face. Uh, it was like pure conviction. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was taken. That's a photograph sure, taken from. Oh, you can't really see it from there, sure. Okay. I, I see <laughs> the rope. Uh, I don't see the figure. It's highlighted in red. I see the red, <laughs> poorly drawn on circle. <laughs> but I don't, I don't. I mean, it's kind of a figure, but it looks way too small for the window. It's supposedly a ghosty holding a noose. Uh, I, see, I see the noose. I see the noose, but I don't see yeah. the ghost. And the big red circle doesn't help. You see what I mean? It seems too small for the window. The new seems in proportion, but the, the, it's like a midget. Sorry, <laughs> sorry is that There was women um, and children. Small person. It doesn't look like a person. No. Do you not think? No. No, you can... That's their most damning evidence that they, they have oh. from... Oh, dear. And why is it always... This evidence is always filmed on, on a, or taken on a potato. On a potato? What? Yeah, looks, the, the quality of it looks terrible. Oh, that's what... Is that a phrase? On a potato? Yeah, you've never heard that. Like, no. No. How have you never heard that? We're Cause... not down with the kids. <laughs> no. no one's a bit younger than us. We don't like it. We don't, we don't spend much time on the four chans. <laughs> so we're not convinced <laughs> then, guys. I'm calling Not by that. If, is there anything else coming up then? No, that's it. That's oh, right, it. Okay. That's, the, that's the whole shindig. So what did they... Did they have a story to this? Who that, that ghosty may have been? Who was no, telling they them were cunts all... and telling them to get out? No, they, they were all just inmates that they sort of picked up and a lot of them are not very nice spirits that none of them have um they've picked up children they've picked up um elderly women that one there was a woman um but there's no story because as i said a lot of people just didn't care about the the welfare and they didn't really kind of know who was in their asylum so when i see old places like this i go all sort of grand designs and think this place would be, look really nice done up i'd love to live there <laughs> If it was done up. I'm sure it would do. Just less of the... So what have other people found? Have other people found spooky spooks? Yes, there's a lot more. There's a there's a, there's a ton of people that have gone into this place and they've got exactly the same... Well, not much as, as this kind of um, encounter, but a lot of people have got a lot of feedback on the um, on the voice recording uh, machines, etc. So a lot of different people have a lot of different accounts of the activity that goes on in this place. So it is a highly active area. Mm-hmm. Well, asylums are are always kind of magnets for ghost hunters, aren't they? Indeed, you they do. Love, they love that shit. They do, indeed. They do. So we're we gonna do a bullshit Noro fuck thing. Yeah, I mean this thing, this this thing didn't close down until um, nineteen ninety one, so oh, it, right. it okay. went on for a bit. 
a lot of people went in and out and stayed there and died in there, essentially. Yeah. Charlotte? I don't like her. I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like her. <laughs> You're expecting me to be able to sleep tonight? Yeah, it was. It's 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 quite it's quite not, scary, isn't it? Uh, no. So you're at oh fuck then. Yeah, I don't like okay. it. Owen. Yeah, I'm I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say bullshit. Completely. Yeah, I just don't see anything there. But I I just don't I just don't see anything that's particularly convincing. Steph? The scratch. The scratch again. The amount of times I nick myself every day, I seem to cut myself on something or other. Okay. 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 I, I, I personally, I think the um, spirit box is a complete bullshit anyway. I do want you? one. Yeah. I do want one, because it makes a, a really annoying sound, and I'd like to wake Charlotte up with it in the morning. <laughs> 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 yeah, but don't forget, I'm partially deaf. I probably won't hear it. I'll I just it think you're talking to me normally. Blast I will it, make blast you it hear it. some speakers. <laughs> Steph, what about you? I'm an old fuck at this, because it really it got to me. I, was, uh, I had to keep revisiting this video when I was watching it, because it really spooked me the fuck out. I'd like, I'd like to see other stuff from this place, put it that way. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not completely... Well, I am. But I'm not completely disregarding it. But I would. I am interested to see other stuff from this place. Yeah. Um, so it's it's worth a further five to ten minutes. I'm <laughs> a little dabble. So it's a little bit more than a, a bullshit because I'm you're still inquiring. Think bullshit. I still think bullshit, but maybe a little bit of Google. Just a little yeah. bit of that. Give it okay. a Google tap. With your fingers, just like that. With your eyes closed and everything. Yeah. <laughs> right, so is that today's show? I think that is, That's guys. Today's well, show. So, who are you covering next week, Steph? We're doing Harold Shipman. Oh, yeah. We've got a full episode next week as well. We do indeed. I'm excited. This yeah. is my favourite. He's, he's my favourite in a non favourite way. He's What's a... your nickname for him? Shippy. It's a bit wrong to give serial killers cute nicknames, don't you? Oh, my God. You, you say that, though, but you've got Pogo the Clown. You've got... Um, he gave himself that, though. The Night Stalker. You've That's got... not a cute nickname. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't oh, say that was cute. Um, who, what, 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 my what Little Night Stalker. What did they call Ted Bundy? Teddy. Yeah, Teddy Boy. Before mm. it, But they gave him a really cute nickname before... That's offensive to Teddy Boys. Night Stalker is not a cute nickname. Yeah. I won't call you my little darling night stalker. <laughs> Why not? No. Can it be a bit weird? What's this? Touched by a ghost? Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's another part of this. Hold on. Shall I try and find that bit? Hold on. We are going back into the previous story. Hold, bear with us a sec. I just realised the uh, the thumbnail hasn't actually matched up to anything we've witnessed so far. Hold on. So, where is a... The man is wearing pyjamas as well. The man with the beard. He's like a proper hippie. Yeah, I kind of like He's it. He's like Steph of us. I like it. He don't give a shit about ghosts. He's just there for a nice time. Yeah, so essentially what happens is um, they're in a room and um, all of a sudden he feels somebody brushing up against him and then when he looks at his trouser leg, there's white dust. Oh, so like air travelling against his leg. Yeah, I mean, it lo- it, this is, they supposedly say it looks like a hand, a handprint. Mm-hmm. But does it look like a handprint? So, right, yeah, I'm not going to say what I'm going to do next week purely because I haven't figured that out yet. You're not doing <laughs> anything next week. I have, I've got a short one. No, you haven't. We've got no, Steph's we're all doing... Oh, yeah, sorry, it's you two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah well, it's oh, not well. even that, it's Steph's really long one because it's oh, shipping. Yeah, sweet. Yes. sweet, I get a week to My do My whole uni research. project. You yes. have to do something, you have to research why you think shippy is a certain way. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I think we're going to say goodbye. Yeah, it's been an emotional one today. Yeah, thank you for listening. 
Yeah. And as always, if you've got any stories, personal ghost stories, UFOs in particular, definitely UFOs. They're the best. Indeed. If you want to send us, please do on our Instagram and those kind of jobbies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so any final words for today, Charlotte? Stay spooky and don't conform. Stephanie? Steph? You're all amazing and we love you. I know I have never have anything inspirational to say. <laughs> so, That's just inspirational. Um, goodbye. In goodbye. Farewell. Avilasin. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So bye goodbye, guys. guys. Bye. No, no, no. Is that it? I wanted to listen to more horror and gore. No. Let them carry on with their day. If they want to find us, they can find us on Facebook at Crime Clips and Coffee Podcast. Twitter at CCNC Podcast. Instagram at Crime underscore creeps underscore and underscore coffee underscore podcast. If they want to listen to more, they can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Castbox, and all podcast apps. But for now, before she interrupts again, I think we should say goodbye.